All right, 1 Samuel chapter 10. We'll be looking beginning in verse 17. Anybody need a lesson? We, we have some extra lessons. Yes, got a couple of folks uh, that need one. And uh, Terry will help you out with that. One right up here, Terry. She really needs it right up here. So, Samuel has anointed Saul as the king, privately anointed him, and there will be ongoing recognition of the people concerning their first king, Saul. And, and so we ended up chapter, the lesson last week where, you know, Saul has returned to his house, his uncle asked about his conversations with Samuel, and he was less than transparent about what Samuel gave him, the news. But, but now Samuel is going to gather the people together and, and um, begin to make, make known to them who the Lord has chosen for their first king. So let's just read a few verses beginning in 17. And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah. And that's the that's an important phrase, unto the Lord. It wasn't just a social gathering. They weren't just getting together. They're getting together before God, unto the Lord, to Mizpah, and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, this saith the Lord God of Israel. And again, he's, you know, Samuel was a very unique person, a very outstanding person. He was a priest. He helped people with sacrifices. He was a prophet. Here he's speaking, uh, Thus saith the Lord, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all kingdoms and of them that oppressed you. And you have this day rejected your God who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said unto him, to God, nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So before Samuel leads them in this process to let them see who the Lord has chosen for their king, he reminded them, you know, it's kind of like he starts off on a very negative note. He said, before we do this, just, just, we just go on the record and remind you that you're the one that demanded this king. You're the one that didn't really want the Lord to reign over you. And he reviewed, number two there under B, he reviewed how the Lord delivered them from Egyptian bondage and gave them victory over these other nations. That In verse 18, he said, The Lord says this, I brought you up out of Egypt. I delivered you out of the bondage of the Egyptians. And then he says in verse 18, And out of the hand of all kingdoms and of them that oppressed you, which I think is a reference to the time, the period of the judges, when, when a nation would come against Israel and they would cry out to God, God would raise up a Gideon or Samson or Jephthah. He would raise up these people and he would deliver his people. Just imagine God saying this, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt and all the times through the period of the judges, you know, I'm the one that delivered you and took care of you and fought these battles for you. And yet, in verse 19, you've rejected, you've rejected me. You've rejected your God. Now, 
I think that's a, a very significant phrase there in verse 19. You have this day rejected your God who himself saved you out of your adversities and tribulations and you've said unto him, you said to God, no, but we, nay, but set a king over us. So they, they're, they're actually rejecting the Lord and rejecting his will, they're rejecting the Lord. And so then he goes on to say in the last part of verse 19, we're going to gather together yourselves by your tribes, your, your family identity, your thousands, and God is going to, God's going to show you who he's chosen for you. Now we're going to read the next couple of verses, but the thing I really want to notice as we go through this is this dynamic that, that I think sometimes people overlook. And that is when we reject God's will, really we're rejecting God. We're rejecting Him as our leader. We're rejecting Him as our king. And, and some people, make, I don't think they make that distinction. They say, well, I know God wants me to do this, and I'm not going to do it, but God is still with me. No, when, you, when you're rejecting God's will, in a sense, you're saying, I don't want you to rule over me. I don't want you to have your way in my life. And so let's read that together in verses 20. And 21, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. So we're going to kind of walk through this. And about this is this. This is God's way of showing them. Samuel already knew who the king was going to be, right? Samuel already knew. Saul already knew. Uh, God had led Samuel to anoint him, but, but Israel doesn't know. And so they're going to discover who this is. And, um, and as they do so, they're, they're going to do by, a, I put in my notes, a form of lots, casting lots. I believe that's, that's what I get out of this text and how it was. Uh, if you notice in verse... I want to focus in on the word taken here in verse 20. The tribe of Benjamin was taken. And in verse 21, the family of Matri was taken. And then it says, the Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And so what does that mean, was taken? And really it was, it was choosing by lots. They brought the tribes together, the leaders. And you might, you know, people would wonder, well, how did they get all of Israel together? We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. How do you get all these people together? And really, they're getting the leaders of the tribes together, the leaders of thousands, the leaders of hundreds or whatever, and they're going to, they're going to cast this lot. And um, let, me get, let me look at a couple of places in Proverbs, and we'll come back and look at this together. But go to Proverbs chapter 16. And it doesn't use the word lot there in uh, 1 Samuel, but if you look at these texts, I think it's, it's clear that some form, this is some form of identifying for the people to identify God's choice. So in Proverbs chapter 16, for instance, in verse 33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So that was a way that they determined what God's will was. And I don't, I don't recommend that if you're trying, maybe if you're trying to figure out whether you're going to go to a McDonald's or Burger King. You, that might be a reliable, but if I was going to decide whether I'm going to, you know, who I'm going to marry, I wouldn't put five names in the hat and just pull, pull out one and believe that's God's will. But it was a way that they used to determine 
God's will. The lot is cast into the lap, but the, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. In other words, there, the Lord can make his will known that way. And we're going to see it in another place in a moment. But turn to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 18. And this, this is, a, again, it's a way of, the way that they would use to determine what was right, and, and people could go along with it. Verse 18, the lot causeth con, contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. In other words, when, when you've got two parties and they were, couldn't figure out which one was right, they would use this method. And sometimes they would even use uh, as, uh, the, on the breastplate, the Urim and Thummim. They would use ways to figure out what is God's will. And so let's go, let's go uh, to, uh, to Joshua for a moment because it, it becomes really obvious here in Joshua chapter 7. And in Joshua 7, just to kind of uh, introduce what's happening here, is this was when the children of Israel had just come into the promised land, into uh, and they, the first city they met was the Jericho and God gave a great victory at Jericho God gave him instructions at Jericho you know we're going to conquer this city but there's certain things don't take these things are holy they they're they're they belong to the Lord and they left from there and they went to uh, Ai which was a very you know should have been a pushover really Ai but they were soundly defeated and so they tried to find out why why are we defeated and it's and, and Joshua's praying, and God says, well, there's because there's sin in the camp. Basically, I'm just paraphrasing and introducing the story. So there, there, there's someone in the camp, and his name was Achan. And Achan had taken things that didn't belong to him. Now imagine this. Somebody in the camp has taken something that didn't belong to him. The result of it was defeat and the loss of life of God's people. How are we going to find out who that person was? And so, that was, so how are they going to find out? And this is the method they used in Joshua chapter Seven, beginning in verse, uh, uh, God gets them together. Verse fourteen: The morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. You see the same kind of system. Get the tribes together. It'll be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall be, shall come according to the families thereof, and the families the Lord taketh shall come by households. The household come, and the man will, will see who it is. And this is exactly what they did. The same kind of a system. Verse five: And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. And verse 16, Joshua rose early in the morning, brought Israel by their tribe. The tribe of Judah was taken. So they basically had lots. They, which one's guilty? It was the tribe of Judah. So now we know the, 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 the villain, the person that's guilty, is of the tribe of Judah. But then they narrow it down by, by family. In verse 17, that Zabdi was taken. In verse 18, the uh, it brought his household by man by man, and Achan was taken. So it was revealed by this process that Achan was the person. So, and the word taken, if you, if you were to take that word taken and look it up and what the definitions of it and synonyms of it, it is sometimes defined as to choose by lot. And so I believe that's exactly what was happening in 1 Samuel chapter 10, that the, that in the, pur- and the purpose of it is not... For Samuel to know who the first king is going to be, the purpose was for the people to see that this is God's choice. Because there may be people who might 
look at Samuel and say, well, you just preferred him. You just, that's, that's, you know, you were just playing favorites. Maybe there's some political advantage. No, he's, he wanted to make sure they understood that this was God's choice. And so, number two there, Saul was chosen, and under small b under a is uh, taken, is sometimes referred to as to choose by lot. And, and so Saul was taken, and just a... As I just said, their small letter B, Saul didn't become the king because of the lot. He was chosen by God, but the lot was God's way of confirming the Lord's choice. And there's a big difference. And so, and God, and Samuel wanted them, and God wanted them to know this is not, this is, first of all, he wanted them to know God wants to be your king. And God would, that would be God's preference, that you wouldn't have a king. But since you've insisted on having a king, God is going to, give you his choice and this kind of goes back some lessons but I believe one of the reasons he chose Saul was because he knew that they would be happy with him you know he's gonna he's the perfect specimen of a king you know he just looks like a person that would be a good king and so so and it tells us there in verse 21 that when they figured out it was Saul Saul the son of Kish was taken we're in first Samuel 10 21 and when they sought him, he could not be found. So he's hiding. That's interesting, isn't it? And, and I think, again, God doesn't always, you know, give us all these details. And I think we have to be careful when we, when we try to figure out why something happened. This may be what we think, but it may not necessarily be so. But it seems to me that he was hiding because he was timid or he was shy or he was humble or he didn't want he didn't want he didn't want to be recognized, whatever the case may be. But he, but one thing we know, if he would have been a guy that was campaigning for this position, if he was really wanting it, if he was trying to promote himself, trying to push himself, he wouldn't have been hiding when it came time to recognize him. He'd be right up front, you know, this is me, I'm the one. Take a selfie with me, and uh, but but that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case at all, and so um, so. It appears to me, smaller C, that Saul, in timidity or low self-esteem or whatever, he was reluctant to be named. And by the way, this is not just an isolated incident of his humility. We see it in other places. We even see it, we see it even farther into his story when he was being rejected as the king, when God was judging him because he disqualified himself, when he said, when you were little in your own eyes. So there was a time when Saul was little in his own eyes, even though he stood head and shoulders above everybody else in his own And so, so really, he's, he's in a pretty good place, I think, as far as his view of himself. He's not thinking of himself more highly than he ought to. And so, and, and so the Lord revealed to them in verse 22 um, that he was hiding among the stuff. Now, what was the stuff? We don't know for sure what the stuff was. Um, but my speculation is this you know these people had traveled to come here Samuel sent out the word and said come, come here by your tribes by your leaders come here we're going we're gonna to meet before the Lord and so they had this tra- I'm sure they traveled I mean the men probably traveled they had a little bag of toiletry about this big you know they traveled with it and the ladies had you know several suitcases full of stuff and they, that's the way and so the all their suitcases are piled up. That's the stuff. And so Saul is hiding. 
this is very fresh on my mind because we've been traveling a lot, right? So anyway, <laughs> so so this was this was uh, he was hiding among the stuff. That's what I speculate. Doesn't tell us what the stuff was, but they found him and they brought him forth. And it's, it's revealed that he's the choice. Look in verse 24. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, and there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. May the king live. Isn't that pathetic? I mean, here God wants to be their king, and they've got, now they've got them a king, and they're happy to be like the other nations. They, and smaller E in your notes there, they, they owned him as their king. This is our king. We're proud of our king. We're glad we have a king. And it was the Lord's choice. It was the Lord's choice. And um, so if you look then in verse 25, Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord and Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. So, so Samuel immediately, Saul is the person, and Samuel told them, he gave them this lecture, this speech. This is the manner of the king. This is what, this is what it's going to be like having a king. Now again, it doesn't tell us what he said. But he, already, he had already told them when they asked for a king. You know, I just want you need to know if you have a king, then your sons and your daughters are going to have to serve him. If you have a king, he's going to be taxing you. All your money's not your own. If you have, now remember what he told all these things, and so maybe that's what he was saying. But he also could have been, you know, rehearsing this passage in Deuteronomy. And I want to turn to that Deuteronomy chapter 17, when he told him the manner of the king. There's some instruction that Moses gives us concerning the king and let's just look at it quickly Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14 by the way it's good to use your Bible this is Bible study time right it's good to use your Bible and be familiar with Bible passages and the relevance of these passages Deuteronomy 17 14 when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee and shall possess it this all future tense when that happens and shall dwell therein and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. So this wasn't a surprise to God, was it? Moses wrote about this when this happens. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God hath cho shall choose. One from among the bre thy brethren that shall, thou shalt set over thee. Thou shalt, mayest not set a stranger over thee. He has to be one of an Israelite, which is not thy brother. Don't set someone that's not your brother. But he shall... This is interesting. Shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath chose, has said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. We'll see some of this later on when Solomon is the king. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. See where king, strike one, strike two, strike three for Solomon, right? The wives, the horses, the... Um, Neither shall multiply wives to thyself that his heart turn not away. You know, God always knows best, doesn't he? I mean, my mind's going to when, you know, it records these sad words about Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, how his wives turned his heart against him. 
God gave Moses this truth long before Solomon. It's a reminder that God knows. We may not know what the future is, but God knows the future. And God gives us instructions to help us avoid tragedy in our life. Neither shall he multiply himself silver and gold. And so, uh, and it shall be, I'm going to read the rest of this. It shall be when he, the king, sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be read with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and to keep all the words of this law and those statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days to his, in his kingdom, he and the children in the midst of Israel. So that's good advice. We don't know if this is what Samuel read to, to the people, but it's very likely he did. It's God's word. He had the God, God's word, and he said, if this is, what, this is what it's going to be like having a king, and by the way, isn't that a good advice for a king? Read, you don't have God's word, you're to read God's word, you're trying to live by God's word. And, and I personally believe, and I don't think any of us know exactly the extent of this, but a lot of people who came together and in, in formed what became this, this group of colonies that became the United States, that's what they believe about leadership and kings. They ought, to, they ought to respect the Bible, they ought to read the Bible, they ought to do what the Bible says. That's good advice for a king. So back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, it says in verse 25, he told the people all the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book. God keeps good records, doesn't it? God, God is a record keeper. Now, I was thinking, my wife and I were reading in Ezekiel this morning, how Ezekiel, the passage began on this certain day, so many days, so many months, and so many years. I mean, people kept good records, and so... So it's just, it's, it's just kind of a reminder to me that God keep, is, keeps good records. And by the way, it's not, not a bad thing for us to keep records as well. And verse 26, And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there with, with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. So, so one of the first things we see, he's not, he's not being formally inaugurated as the king, but he's been introduced to the people as the king, and God immediately gave him some men who followed him, who had a heart to follow him. Now think about this, because I think this is really important. It's all important, but um, they didn't follow him because they chose him necessarily. They didn't even follow him because he had personality. They followed him because they recognized that he was God's choice. Now that's, that's really very simple, but it's important. They followed him because they recognized that he was God's choice. So number one there near the bottom of the page, there was immediate support for him. And just a comment at the bottom, and we'll mention this again later. Every leader needs loyal men who will be support to them. That could be a, a husband, a father, a pastor, you know, some even a constituency of, in the political realm. Everybody needs people who will support them. But also look in verse 27. But the children of Belial, or Belial, said, so some men have a heart to follow him, but the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? How's this man going to save us? They were just disparaging him, 
being critical of him. They despised him. They didn't respect him and brought him no presents. And I'm not going to really talk about that much, but there's some verses there where this was a common thing, even in the political realm, to show your support, you'd give, bring them presents. And then he, the last part of verse, the last verse, the last part of the chapter, but he held his peace. So some people weren't, weren't in favor of him. And the Bible calls them children of Belial, which means they were evil men. They were, they were not godly men. And the word Belial, that, that phrase came to be known as really of the devil. They were, these people were of the devil. And number two, on, they questioned Saul's ability to lead. These men of Belial did, evil men. They despised him. They didn't show their support to him. And so there you have this contrast. You have some men immediately get on board to support him. You've got some men who are questioning him and, and doubtful about him. But the last phrase is, is really worth mentioning briefly here. Saul held his peace. He didn't defend himself or criticize his critics. Again, we see this humility. People are against him. He's the king. He's, got, he's a king with people who are already coming on board to serve him and honor him and follow him I mean he could have very well said let's get rid of our critics you know let's just do away with them let's cancel them out but he didn't which I see is a again is self-control so now Israel has a king we see the process they went through we see that he is really uh, shy in a way if you want to use that word he has those that are supporting him he has those that are opposing him and so this really sets the stage for the beginning of the kings. This, is, this Sunday school series is about the kings. So let's just think about some principles, really, uh, in the next 10 minutes or so. And, and the first one is that, you know, God calls, God refers to this, Israel's rejection of his will, as rejection of him. And that's an important thing, really try to wrap our mind around you know, because, again, we live in this culture where people don't really, everything's gray, sort of. But Jesus said, either you're for me or against me. I mean, so um, if, if, we, if we're not for him, then we're, we can't act like we're for him if we're not, if we're not following him, you know. Um, I was just reading this morning in the New Testament where it says, if any man make himself, you know, a friend of the world, he's the enemy of God. So, so this, this seems kind of, really maybe harsh, maybe seems too direct. But if I know something is God's will for me and I refuse to do it, then I'm, and I'm not just rejecting his suggestion, I'm rejecting him. I'm rejecting his counsel. I'm rejecting his, his wisdom, his will. And so, when there were, and so we see that in this passage. We also see in this passage of how in this story, the importance of men who will support the leader God has given them. The leader God has given them. You know, I've only had two pastors, three pastors now. Two pastors before I became pastor, and I have three pastors. So uh, Ralph Gossett was my first pastor, and Joe Murray was my second pastor, and Jesus was my third pastor because I was the pastor, and Pastor Weiss is my, my fourth pastor. But all, of, every, all these leaders are different. But, I, but I'm thankful that I could follow and support enthusiastically every one of them because I knew God had chose them. And so it's a good lesson, really, about leadership, I think, in, this, in these few verses. And, um, 
C there under number three, there's, there's a need to remind that those who support spiritual leaders can be used of God to encourage. Others who are critical of God's servants can be tools of Satan. That's really men of Belial. That's what it is, a tool of Satan. And so I think, I think some really practical lessons here. So right at the, the end of it, questions. Israel was rejected was rejecting God as their king. So can you think of a specific way in our life, in the world that we live in, when someone may profess to know the Lord and yet do not want his rule in their life? Just some, something that you would think of that may be common. I'll just start off by giving you one. You know, it's, it's very clear in the New Testament that if a person is saved, they ought to be scripturally baptized. That's not, that's not man's opinion, that's God's opinion. And if a person says, well, I'm, I'm going to be saved, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm not going to do what God wants me to do, well, really, they're, re- they're rejecting God's will. That's a serious thing, right? It's a serious thing. So what other thing could you think of where someone, a specific thing, where they may want to profess they know the Lord, but they're, they don't really want to f- obey Him in this area? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Exactly. And that's kind of the line of thinking I was thinking, you know, <laughs> what's that? About giving? What's, should we look at that, Malachi 3? I hear you. I got you. I'm on to you now. Malachi 3. Seven, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the one you're talking about? In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him, then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Yeah, I, I see your point. You're recognizing that that day with those who serve God and those who don't. Um, but back to, back to this matter of if we reject Okay, Pastor Weiss mentioned this. I want to get off this here and go to something else. But, you know, I was thinking this morning about the clear instruction in the book of, in, in, in the New Testament, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm thinking about that. that and and uh, when God gifts people, he gives us spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are designed by God, given by God, that we might be able to minister to one another in his church, in the church that we belong to. So that's, that's God's plan, and yet there are people who just, they, want to, they say, well, I'm a child of God, but I don't really want to do this. But you know what you're doing? You're rejecting God's will, and that's a serious thing. These are not just God's suggestions. These are things that are God's will, like tithing. You know, that's, that's God's will. It's commanded in the Scripture, as clear as it can be. And if a person doesn't do it, they're, re- they're not just rejecting a suggestion. They're rejecting God as their leader, as their... And so these, so I think it's really worth, I think this really brings this out in the way that Israel responded to 
the person God gave them. A B there under questions. Saul had a good start. He was chosen by God. He was anointed by God. He had the help of the Holy Spirit. He was changed into another man, the scripture says. He demonstrated humility in many ways. He was supported by men who were touched by God. He had an impeccable spiritual counselor in Samuel. He had the potential for great success. But he also had the potential to fail. And, and it's easy to me to apply that to our own life. You know, we have all these opportunities. We have the Bible to guide us. We have the Spirit of God living within us. We've been gifted to serve Him. We've been put in a good church. We have, many of us are in a Christian family. We have all these things, and yet, if we don't make the right choices, if we don't, if we don't take advantage of the opportunities God gives us, we could just be like Saul. And Saul, this great leader is going to crash and burn real soon. You know what I'm saying? He really is. And it wasn't because he wasn't given all these opportunities. It's because he didn't make the right choices. He didn't, he didn't do the things the Lord wanted him to do. So, um, see, how important do you think it is for men and women to express their support for their spiritual leader? We have this in Samuel uh, of Saul's. There were those who followed him. There were those who rejected him. And, and so the question is, and I'd really like to hear, how important do you think it is that we express our support for people who are our leaders? Anybody? Brother Peterson? Right. Right. Dave? Yeah, if I'm understanding what you're saying, like it, it would be, if someone was negative or on the op opposing, it would be good for them to see and hear that other people really are on board. You know, who else had their hand up? Yeah, and I think it's true. I think it's very true. You know, it's a lot of times in our in our society, and I'm trying to look at a cultural thing. The people who the negative people are the ones often that have the the microphone. The, you know, the megaphone, the ones that are anti, the ones that are anti-American. It's like, and really, the silent majority should not be silent. They ought to be speaking up and say, no, this is not what we want. We don't want socialism. You know, we don't want these things. And the same thing in the Lord's work. You know, and, and I've, I'm looking at this from a different vantage point now since I'm a has-been. But, but there are a lot of times a pastor can be seeking God praying, preaching what he believes God wants him to lead, and yet not really know if the people are behind him because nobody ever says, you know, we're with you, we appreciate you. And, that, and by the way, that's true in a family. You know, it ought to be true in, in life, really. And so just to close this out, the last part of verse, uh, the last verse says, but he held his peace in I'm not going to have discussion about it because we need to wrap this up. But, but again, it was just a good. It was a good commendation of his character that he 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 didn't retaliate. He didn't name his critics. He didn't put them on social media. You know, put out on Facebook. Look what my people did. <laughs> he didn't do that. He held his peace. 
uh, because I really believe his, I believe at this point, maybe I'm reading into it something's not there. I believe at this point his heart's in a good place. He's got character and he's got God behind him. He's got good character. He's not trying to promote himself. And so we're going to see a good king, at least initially.